You're listening to a podcast from 702. Saza. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. It's time for us to take your calls right now on 011-883-0702. Give us a call to chat to Nicole um, and uh, ask him whatever technical issue you may be having with your car. Nicole, very well versed with the uh, car in and out of the engine. Um, and we're looking forward to hearing what's been ailing your vehicle. And uh, he's the man with all the worthwhile advice. Once a month, we get to connect with Nicole as a technical, technical expert. And uh, he brings his insights, of course, his indispensable insights. Nicole, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Azania, our listeners. Yeah, great to be with you for our month of July edition of Addressing Technical Issues. But before we take calls, as they're already coming in, um, you wanted to talk about the clutch, um, that it's a very difficult skill for learner drivers to master clutch control, to be precise. Um, and yes. uh, let's understand how the clutch works. Yes, Azana, I, can't, I, I wonder if you can remember it still when you were a learner driver. That was one of the most difficult things to do is that clutch control. And we, yeah. I know everything is moving towards automatic. The trend is automatic uh, transmissions. But in the in the learner market, in the budget segment, I think manual transmissions are still here to stay for some time. So let's just quickly, from a learner point of view, uh, discuss what, the, what does a clutch actually do? So the clutch disconnects the engine from the rest of the drivetrain. So if I mention the rest of the drivetrain, I mean the transmission, drive shafts, uh, and, and all the way to the wheels. So if you're a learner driver, you would know very well that if you come to a rest, you come to a stop, say, at a stop street, and you forgot uh, to depress the clutch and you're still in gear, then you, that ugly feeling of that engine that just shuts down immediately just stops with a jolt. And you realize, yeah. oh, I forgot to depress the clutch. So you actually forgot to disconnect the engine from the wheels because the wheels are now stopped and the engine still wants to run or still wants to idle, but you're forcing it to also stop now because you didn't depress the clutch. So in essence, that's what the clutch does. It allows the engine to be completely separate from the rest of the drivetrain. So if you depress the clutch and it's disconnected, you can do with a throttle whatever you want. You can rev up the engine. You can do whatever... The power or the torque will never get to the wheels because that connection is broken. Um, from more from a technical point of view, what is actually happening? So between the engine and the transmission, um, if you look at the, the crankshaft of the engine, at the end of the crankshaft, there's a flywheel, and that flywheel presses, or the clutch plate actually presses against the flywheel. That's where the connection is made or broken. So if you depress the clutch, the clutch plate is not in contact with the flywheel and the engine can idle. So let's take, for example, you, you, you want to pull away. So the engine is idling, you're depressing the clutch. Now you want to move off. So you, you're letting the clutch out slowly until you get to the biting point. Now that biting point is when that clutch plate actually starts to rub now on the flywheel, which is turning. So clutch plate stationary, flywheel is turning. Now, as you let the clutch out, that pressure from the pressure plate on the clutch is pressing harder and harder onto the flywheel until the friction is enough so that the, the clutch plate is starting to rotate with the engine. And when that clutch plate starts to rotate, that is connected to your transmission and that goes through to the wheels and then your wheels will start turning as well. So think about the clutch as a gradual switch. Remember, if it was just a switch that's open and closed, okay, some, some yes. learner drivers, they treat the clutch that way and your neck will, will really like take a hit. <laughs> if, you, if you use it as a switch, you sidestep the clutch, it will be a really jolt going through the car. 
So you're slipping the clutch on that biting point to give you that gradual pull away. But now, I just want to talk about something which is a little bugbear of mine, and that is riding the clutch. Now, I don't know if you heard about the term riding the clutch. So yes, that is yes. when you're on an incline and you're a bit too lazy to use the handbrake. So what you're doing is you, you, you're having that, that clutch or you, you're letting the clutch out up to the braking or the biting point and keeping it there to keep the vehicle sort of balanced on the incline on the clutch. So what is essentially happening is that flywheel is still continually turning against the clutch plate and there's slip happening. That slip that's happening is heating up the clutch plate. So eventually that, that friction material on the clutch plate will start to overheat. That's why you get that, that um, horrible clutch smell sometimes in the vehicle. And where the clutch is supposed to last for easily 100,000 kilometers in a vehicle that's cared for, you can burn out that clutch in under 10,000 kilometers if you keep riding the clutch on incline. So a little bugbear of mine, please use the, the handbrake, uh, put the vehicle in neutral, let the clutch out, and that gives the clutch a rest as well. We all need a rest sometimes. I'm hanging my head in shame, Nicole. <laughs> are you riding the clutch, Susanna? I do. I write the clutch. I always thought that it was a mark of being an, uh, uh, an experienced driver, that you didn't always need to be pulling on the handbrake and standing there stationary, that you were in position, you know, the perfect balance between the accelerator and the clutch, just that perfect balance. Naughty, and naughty, when the traffic light... after the show. Uh-oh. I do feel scolded at, by the way. I wonder who else rides the clutch. But if you have any clutch questions, maybe you have clutch stories of when you were learning how to drive and... Just your um, relationship with the clutch. Do give us a call, 011-883-0702. Then we're taking your general questions about technical issues that you might be having with your car. Um, so we're taking your calls on 011-883-0702. You can also drop us a voice note on any of those topics. Um, that's 072-702-1702. But first, out the gates uh, from Western Area is Jacob. Hello, Jacob. Hello. I, I do have a problem with my car. And uh, what I call mm-hmm. the fumes are coming into my car from the exhaust. Into the car, uh-huh. Yeah, into, and uh, what I have really done now is I put on the first center uh, silencer and the back silencer. Right at the manifold, I put a spacer over there, but the fumes are still coming in. I wonder what's wrong with that. Mm. Um, can you tell us what car it is? Uh, but I, I own an automatic uh, oh, okay. Uh, Nicole, any thoughts on what could be leading these fumes to end up in the driver cabin? Yes, so uh, obviously your exhaust fumes is not a, not great to have in the cabin. It's carbon monoxide, so it's also very poisonous. So that's the last thing you want in the cabin. That's why the exhaust will go out all the way to the back and um, prevent the, the fumes from getting into the car. So um, Jacob has done the right thing. I mean, first of all, I would also look at the exhaust pipe to see if there's any leaks. Um, but what I found is, remember, where can the gases actually get into the car? If it leaks underneath the car, there must be door seals or anything like that that's not sealing properly. Um, but most commonly, the, the gases are getting into the vehicle through the normal HVAC system or your your air conditioning fan system that, that, that actually pumps the, the fresh air from the outside into the vehicle. So that's maybe where you can have a look. So I found it with some vehicles, if there's a, a oil leak on the engine itself that maybe drips onto a hot manifold under the in, uh, in the engine bay, 
those fumes are actually sucked in by your um, HVAC system or your aircon system. But remember, the fresh air uh, port where it, it gets its fresh air from is just yeah, under the windscreen normally at the end of the bonnet. There you will find the, the, where the fresh air actually enters the cabin. So if, they, if you find that, they, that some exhaust gases manage to get to that location, then it will actually be drawn into the car. And that's mostly where the gases will enter enter a cabin of a, a vehicle. So I would check, for example, um, underneath the, the, the bonnet. So look at the engine, look at the manifold there, see if you've got any oil leaks that drip onto the, the manifold or there's any way of exhaust gases escaping there and then being pulled in uh, to your aircon system and then into the, the, the cabin itself. So that will be my uh, advice. Thanks a lot, Nicole. There you go, Jacob. Next, let's go to Wendy Wood. Uh, Joseph is on standby with his question. Um, afternoon, Joseph. Afternoon, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah, my question was uh, about uh, when I heard them talking about the clutch wearing off if you're lazy to pull the handbrake at a steep, at a steep ascent. Um, mm. My question was, is it also the same, like you are changing down a vehicle to the lowest gear when approaching a robot or a stop sign? Is it the same kind of thing? Is, are you going to wear off your clutch plate or, or is it normally okay? Yes, when you're gearing down, right. And even when you're going but, down a, a, a hill. Okay, thank you for that, Joseph. Nicole? So remember, the clutch wear happens when they slip. So when they slip between the engine and the rest of the transmission where the clutch is making up for the slip. So that's during your pull-away condition, for example. Um, when you gear down for a lower gear, I mean, remember that you, you depress the clutch, you change gear, you let the clutch out again. So that's, it's momentarily where there's a little bit of slip when a, just before the next gear is then completely engaged. But after that, it's, it's a fixed uh, connection and there's no slip and there won't be any then... Um, further wear on the clutch in that scenario. So it's perfectly fine to gear down, let the clutch out, and then, um, as I say, the connection is made and there's no slip anymore and no more wear on, this, on the clutch itself. There's another uh, little bugbear of mine regarding a clutch. Is some people would drive with their left foot always resting on the clutch pedal. So you would yeah. when you're a learner, they will tell you, take your foot off the clutch once you've changed gear. And the reason for that is, if you've got your foot resting on the clutch pedal all the time, that pressure might be enough to start to disengage the clutch even slightly. It, it, it removes some of the pressure oh. on the clutch, and that, will, that can result in some slip eventually. And when it starts slipping, that's when wear happens. So on a manual transmission, we're giving a lot of uh, learner advice today, Daniel, but <laughs> keep your foot away from the clutch in between changes. So only put your foot on the left uh, pedal when you change gear or when you pull away. Otherwise, keep it far away from the pedal. Now, I think it's a refresher for all of us too, Nicole, because it's easy to slip into bad habits uh, with practice, with time uh, driving. Um, next, let's go to Grant. Grant is in Lone Hill, and I see you have a Land Rover question, Grant. Hello. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, afternoon. Yeah, the question is, it's a 2010 Freelander 2 TD4. Um, it's probably got around 200,000 Ks on the clock. And um, I'm trying to sell this vehicle, but... Um, it's a manual, and all the um, dealerships, and, and uh, I, I'm not sure if they still use the Blue Book, but they only list an automatic transmission in, in this country. Um, and, and as a result, can't give me a, a, a decent uh, appraisal. 
Um, I was wondering what is what is the reason why there's no um, manual listed, and um, you know where can I get a, an accurate evaluation? Right. Any insights on that, Nicole? That's an interesting question. If it was a vehicle mm. that was uh, sold in South Africa, then surely it must be on the books. I know some of the vehicles get imported or grey imports, which might the model itself might not have been sold in South Africa, and then then you can understand why it's not in the, in the books. But I, if I remember correctly, the Freelander two was sold as a manual vehicle in South Africa. So for me, it's very strange that, uh, as you said, it's not in the in the in the, in the role, we always call it car bible, the one of the second hand values, but. Um, yeah, definitely. My my opinion will be get 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 a second, get a third opinion. Um, there's a lot of ways to get evaluation for your cars. I mean, there's a lot of these companies who will come to your house and evaluate your car for you. Or um, what I actually found is a very good way to get evaluation is to contact your insurer, um, because the insurer is tapping into a massive database of secondhand values because they need to know what they need to insure your car for. Um, and so I found that that database they're tapping into is one of the best in the country. So phone your insurer and ask them what is the what is the value of my car, and surely they would be able to tell you. Just to give an idea, and I also say, um, if you sell a vehicle itself, also scan the internet, all these online uh, sites, and see if you can find an equivalent vehicle with equivalent miles, equivalent condition. You'll probably find a, a few of them there, and you can sort of average the pricing out to get an idea of the pricing of your vehicle. Right. Thanks for that, Grant. What a fascinating question. Next, let's go to Randberg with Gia. Uh, no, Rust, Rustenburg, rather. That's where you are, Gia. Good afternoon. Hi, Azane. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You know, Azania, as you are on this topic of clash and learning how to drive, uh, my mm-hmm. sister and I, my twin sister and I last year, so early last year, she bought a car, right? So we were driving to work every morning. She would drive me to her train. And then in the afternoon, I would drive back just so the both of us can learn how to drive. Azania, I tell you, we were driving at William Nicole all the way to Sanctum Drive. Every morning, we would cry before we leave the house. Because you know how the traffic gets there and the steeps Mm. and all those things. So I would drive in the afternoon and I'm like, oh my goodness, after five, Sunton Drive is a mess. And, mm-hmm. you know, most most motorists and drivers, they're not so friendly to, to learner drivers, especially when there's traffic and you are here and there. So I understand the pulling of the brake when you stop at the robots. But sometimes you get so nervous, you pull the brake fine. And then when you have to go, you're so nervous, you can't even balance properly. And then they're like, oh my goodness, and people now they're getting educated. Because now you've been stopping for quite some time, even for those that mm. were understanding. Because obviously you put a learner sign, but eventually it gets so frustrating that, you know what, just just be careful. Just, yeah. So yeah, that's my story. And my brother was like, no, just try the nose clip seat first before you drive with your car. Like, if we don't try now, what are we going to do? Because where we stay, there are no yes. taxis and we can't take an Uber all the way to Sunton. That's like 500 million. So we just <laughs> had to try. William Nicole and Sunton Drive, I learned how to drive there in the peak yes. traffic. And we used the class, neutral class we remembered. And before that, uh, we hadn't been driving for like five years close to getting our licenses. So you can imagine the stress we yes, I can imagine, Gia. You know, you're right. You're right. Emmanuel, 
for such a yeah. long time and I used to put an automatic but now that we're comfortable <laughs> and it's fine we're like you know it's a good thing because at least then we can we can drive both but it's yeah it's not a nice thing and it keeps the brake and the neutral that we were taught in uh, the Lana mm. really did help a lot Absolutely, Kia. Thank you for sharing that story. I think so many young drivers, learner drivers can relate because ultimately people are also so impatient. You know, you make one mistake already hooting and so on. But Joburg peak traffic, you must love that clutch. Your calf muscle, you can even get a spasm depending on how bad it is because you've just had to, you know, engage it for so many times. So Nicole, there is a learner driver or new, let's say a new driver. Um, who is uh, coming to terms with the demands of the clutch. Yes, Azania, that's why automatic vehicles are now so uh, the trend is automatic vehicles. But I've got a question for you. We're all moving eventually then to electric vehicles. Will electric vehicles have a clutch? Um, Probably not. Yeah, you're correct. But um, I'll tell you why. Because the electric motor can actually stop completely and develop all its torque and power from zero RPM, or torque at least. So the, the engine electric motor can always be permanently connected to the rest of the driver, and there's no reason to disconnect it because you get to a stop or a red traffic light with electric car, everything is stationary. The wheels are stationary, the electric motor, the rotor inside is stationary. And when you pull away, you just press an accelerator and then the torque demand from zero RPM is enough to pull you off and, and you, off you go. So with the electric vehicle, so maybe in what, 10 years, 20 years, all the drivers, no more clutch control issues. All the cars will be electric with no clutches. Oh, that'll be the day. That'll be the day. Finally, let's go to Amanda in Pretoria. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Um, I would like to know, I've got a, a truck, but the clutch is extremely hard. What mm. is the problem, do you think? Yeah. Okay, what size truck? A nine-ton. Okay. Nicole? Mercedes okay. nine-ton truck. All right. I, I presume uh, Cord is talking about the actuation force, so it's very difficult to depress the clutch. Is that correct? Yes. That's it, yeah. Okay, so so remember that the actuating force from the, the pedal itself is either transferred, if it's a, a, like a budget cars and so on, it will be a cable, cable-operated system. It uses sort of a lever system to amplify uh, the force. But when it gets to your luxury and even the larger vehicles and trucks, it will all be hydraulic. So it's a hydraulic force. You, there will actually be a, a master cylinder and a slave cylinder and some hydraulic fluid uh, to be able to build up enough pressure to disengage the clutch. So remember, on a on a truck, there will be a massive clutch because it has to transfer all that torque to uh, from from the engine to the transmission and then onto the wheel. So I can only think there might be something wrong with the hydraulic system itself. If the the force, um, obviously, you need to compare what it was uh, when it was new to what it is now, or to another truck of the same specification. We get into that truck and feel the the force on the pedal versus the force on the one you're driving at the moment. But if if there's a dramatic difference between the two, I would say it's it all depends on the hydraulic system that operates the clutch, and then lastly, the pressure plate that's inside the the clutch itself, because the pressure plate is also the one that that opposes the force. So if that pressure plate is also, but mostly when it when the pressure plate goes, it goes weak. It doesn't go hard. So I, my guess is still the, the actuation hydraulic system that needs to have a look at. Right. Amanda, all the best Thank with you that. very much.
Thank you. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's go to Shane in Malbarton next with the BMW gear uh, issue. Hello, Shane. Hi, everyone, Nicole. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I drive a BMW 320 diesel. It's a 2.10 model. I've got just over 570,000 on the clock. But uh, what I find now is the car doesn't give any problems, but now I've noticed that as you drive, it seems to be hunting on the rear view before it changes the gear. And I just want to know what could have caused it. At idle, okay. it doesn't hunt at all. It doesn't have any starting problems or anything of that sort. Okay. All right. Uh, Nicole, we have about a minute for that one. Are you able to guide Shane? Yes. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the mileage. Over 500,000. That's, uh, that's quite good. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it can be. Uh, my my um, my advice would be take it for a diagnostic check first because at that mileage you don't know which sensor is is, is gone or which sensor is on the sort of limit. And modern engines got so many sensors that control the air, fuel, and the stability of the the, the engine during uh, load or idle. At first, check check those out. So diagnostic check it will tell you which sensor might be to blame and and, and start from there. And there can be many things that can cause an unstable sort of uh, engine. So I don't want to go into all those details. Rather, do just an OBD diagnostic check and start from there. Fantastic, Nicole. Till August, the year really does fly. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. Fantastic stuff. That's our Nicol Lowe. He's a technical specialist, always joins us, of course, to talk cars and help you with any technical problems you may have. I finally broke the cherry and started working from home. Been avoiding this, but the day has finally come. Thank you for listening. Um,